You're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, your source for all the Baltimore Ravens news and information. Now ice up, huh? Just as always, I do love that intro sound. You got Kyle Barber here with you, and with me as always is going to be Matthew Stevens. Welcome in, Matthew. How's it going, Kyle? It's going good. We got some football going on today, man. So it's very exciting. Got Baltimore Ravens going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, folks. We're gonna have a, quite the game, so to speak, as the Ravens are 0 3, hoping to not start 0 4, as this is the very first time they've ever had three losses to start the season. Let's pray that it doesn't make it any more. We can stay away from ever being 0-4 in the 20-year career of the Baltimore Ravens franchise. Now, starting off, folks, real quick, I want to inform you, we do have a contest going on. This contest is going through the Rabble.tv outlet. Rabble has hooked us up with a free jersey giveaway to anybody that listens to our broadcast, the Baltimore Beatdown broadcast covering the live game of the Ravens at Steelers right here at Rabble.tv. Link will be down there below in the comment section soon enough. But definitely tune in, comment, and you get to listen to us call the game and also have a possibility of winning a free jersey. So definitely tune in later, folks. It's going to be a doozy. Starting off the news segment, though, Brashad Perryman has finally revealed his injury uh, along with John Harbaugh, who's kept that in a shroud or a mist. It's a uh, PCL injury. He underwent surgery today to get that fixed. Dr. James Andrews, the one that does the surgery almost always on everybody's knees in the NFL, was successful from what we're hearing, but he is out indefinitely. Matt, what does that mean for the Baltimore Ravens? Well, first and foremost, Kyle, it really depends on exactly what the surgery was. If it was just a simple scope, uh, like I got, you know, uh, not that long ago, it's going to be a matter of three or four weeks before Brashad's able to kind of get back to practicing and, and should be able to come back. Uh, if it was more than that and it was a full reconstruction, it is going to be a huge, huge loss for the Baltimore Ravens as everything I'm hearing from doctors around is that uh, you treat a PCL the same way you treat an ACL, which means about a 12-month 12, 12 recovery period. So if he got his PCL reconstructed, uh, he will not be able to play until around this time next season, which would be huge, obviously. He would miss about a season and a quarter, uh, according to that timetable. Now, we are hearing that, obviously, uh, it, it appears just to be a scope, and they're saying two or three weeks. Uh, but with the way Brashad Perryman's injury has kind of gone on since the first day of training camp, uh, at this point, there's there's no use in giving any prediction on when the hell he's going to be back uh, or if he's going to be back at all this season. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's a huge blow for the Baltimore Ravens and, and their ability to have a deep threat. Uh, but it is something that they've been able to survive so far, and hopefully they're able to uh, survive for the rest of the season. By survive, Matt does put those in air quotes because the Baltimore Ravens, like I mentioned just a few moments ago, are 0-3. Yes, they have not won a single game. So surviving in an aspect of they've still been very competitive. Every every loss has been less than seven points or seven points. And they're always in the game. It's just the last-second mishaps and mistakes are costing them 
three wins. So this team could be 3-0 and as much as they could be 0-3 at this point. Uh, against Denver, they had a game-winning drive, which resulted in an interception to seal away the victory and snatch up defeat instead. The next week, they did play the Raiders, went down. Joe Flacco did have a game-winning drive, scored, and then the defense kind of mishapped and let loose a Oakland Raider touchdown, resulting in 0-2. Then finally, 0-3 happened when Ravens once again scored a touchdown, but A.J. Green proved to be too much once again with some more mistakes and mishaps happening, allowing them to score once again on the shaky defense of Baltimore. And yes, I actually said shaky defense. The defense is being the letdown for the Baltimore Ravens. That is not something heard often in this franchise's historical run. But, yeah, that's why the Ravens are 0-3. It's really, really ugly. And what this also means in my aspect is a lot of hype was built around Brashad Perryman. I know I was very high on this kid in the aspect that he looked like he could be a number one receiver. He has the same speed, if not faster, than Torrey Smith. He has good hands. He had some concentration drops back at UCF, his college. But he looked to be fixing those mistakes. He, in practice with Joe Flacco before resulting, you know, going out with injury was he was making decent chemistry with him. He was playing well, and he looked good out there. Problem is, now the Ravens don't have a deep threat. Kamar Aiken seems to be doing all right with that, but also Joe, every time he's been throwing to Kamar Aiken, has underthrown him a few times and embarrassingly so underthrow him. It's not often that I get to say Joe Flacco's underthrowing his receivers. Uh, Steve Smith, has been dominating the intermediate and short routes and making them into long strides and end zone celebrations, that is. But with no huge deep threat, is Baltimore truly in trouble? And my actual answer is no, because James Hurst isn't allowing us to throw the deep route with his worst ranking in pro football focus and worst tackle rating. Diving into that more, uh, I'm actually going to go to the secondary coverage of the defense for the Baltimore Ravens. And with that, Matt has some actual stats about the secondary coverage rankings by player. Matt, could you take it away for me, please? Yeah, uh, we get a wonderful chance to work with Pro Football Focus, PFF, uh, to talk a little bit about what's going on for this team. And in talking to Chris McFarland, uh, over at PFF today, uh, we started out with Lerdarius Webb, who moved into the slot corner position last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, he currently ranks 45th in coverage right now. Out of 100 possible uh, cornerbacks, he's 45th. Now, Jimmy Smith on the other side currently ranks 64th in coverage. Uh, and the big thing there is Jimmy Smith and... Lardarius Webb are kind of headed in opposite directions. Lardarius Webb had a terrible first uh, game, while Jimmy Smith did fairly well, obviously. The, the Ravens held Peyton Manning to 175 yards. But in the following two games, Jimmy Smith has not been able to keep up with Amari Cooper, and then later on, A.J. Green, as, as we'll mention uh, in a little bit. While Webb you know, did, did fairly well uh, last week, obviously, uh, in, in the slot corner. Now... When you're talking about, uh, you know, Kyle Arrington is a guy that the Ravens brought in this season to possibly play in more of a nickel corner spot. Uh, he has struggled massively in that secondary. He currently ranks 91st in coverage and has graded negatively in every single game. 
again, this is out of 100 qualifying points. It's roughly about 70 snaps or so uh, that you need to go ahead and play in coverage in order to qualify. Kyle Arrington's 91st. Um, you know, on the on the other side of that, the Ravens did try to bring in Rashawn Melvin last week, and sadly he did not do all that well. As he had a ton of penalties, but yet he does not uh, qualify for the grading. But if you go ahead and look at his stats and, and his grades currently, and if you were to compare them out and, and bring them out to the possible uh, 70 snap amount that you would need to qualify, he would be absolutely ranked dead last. Wow. Uh, that That's awful. And again, this is all out of 100 qualifying corners. So just a quick recap. Jimmy Smith, 64th, trending down. Lardarius Webb, 45th, trending up. Kyle Arrington, 91st, and he's had three negative played games. And then Rashawn Melvin, uh, not enough snaps to be graded properly, but he has been graded terribly. And, and again, if you... Uh, project that over 70 snaps, he would be dead last. Uh, in addition to that, let's let's talk a little about the safeties. The Ravens obviously got rid of uh, their their safety last season, and then went ahead and switched over to Kendrick Lewis. Uh, you know he he is 39th uh, in coverage, which is not as terrible as you would think, uh, and he he ranked uh, eighth after a good first week, but ever since then he's been pretty bad, uh, as we saw against Cincinnati when he let up some big games there. Uh, Will Hill currently ranks 21st. He was third in coverage after two games, but last week against Cincinnati it caused his uh, coverage rating to plummet down to 21st. That's uh, so, yeah, you know. The, the Cincinnati Bengals took it to the Baltimore Ravens last week, and uh, pretty much the entire secondary looks pretty awful according to the PFF rankings. Something they're going to need to go ahead and change up tonight against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And good news on that front, if you are a Ravens fan, is you don't have to face the big Ben Roethlisberger, the man that seems to always punish us with his tackle-breaking and all-around physicality when stopping the Baltimore Ravens from being able to take him down. Everybody always talks about how big he is because it needs to be talked about every single game. He's huge, and he makes great plays. He extends plays, but after a knee injury, we will not be seeing Big Ben Roethlisberger playing the Baltimore Ravens. Instead, we will be seeing Michael Vick, and if there's any time to start fixing those pro football focus rankings on their coverage ability, today's the day. Now, Obviously, they're going to be playing a star-studded wide receiver corps of Marcus Wheaton, Martavis Bryant, and also the best wide receiver in football, in my opinion, Antonio Brown. Also, from the backfield is no slouch, as his receiving totals last year totaled over 800 yards. Le'Veon Bell, who I call one of the best backs in football as well. So this team is going to have a handful on the receiving corps, but... Will that will Michael Vick be able to actually get them the football is going to be the big question. Hopefully Jimmy Smith and the rest of the secondary have an answer for Michael Vick, hoping it's going to be a good answer on our front anyways. Moving ahead, though, is going to be more of the general pro football focus rankings on the Ravens and the Steelers front. I'm not going to only be covering the secondary like Matt just finished up. Now, the very biggest uh, key 
note is uh, for the Ravens' Week 3 loss against Cincinnati, Brandon Williams, the nose tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, had the highest rating. He was among they, him, Elvis Dumerville, and Steve Smith all were very positive in their in their single games right there as Brandon Williams ranked plus 6.7, Elvis Dumerville plus 6.4. 6.3 of it was because of his pass rush ability. And then Steve Smith was a plus 4.3. Also, bad news is going to be Justin Forsett ranked last among all halfbacks, both overall negative 5.0 for his overall. For his pass catching ability, it's negative 2.1. And his pass blocking is also negative 2.8. That's why he's ranked near the bottom on pretty much every category. And in Mark Tressman's offense, he's doing one of two things. He's going to be receiving passes from Joe Flacco. He's going to be blocking. So his pass blocking rating is doing terribly, and that's something we expect of him. Or he's not getting as many handoffs, and instead we've been seeing a lot of Lorenzo Taliferro, which I think is changes to come, and we'll slowly see him and Javorius Allen handing off, getting carries and receptions instead of Justin Forsett if the trend continues of him being a negative aspect on this team. Good news coming back to it is going to be Steve Smith is currently ranked the number four wide receiver with a plus 6.2 grade. Both Marlon Brown and Kamar Aiken ranked near the bottom 15 though. Steve Smith is very much carrying this team and willing his team into victories. Unfortunately, the defense is not on the same brainwave as him. Both James Hurst and Ricky Wagner rank in the bottom three for offensive tackles, negative 23 and negative 17.2, respectively. Hurst ranks last both overall and as a pass blocker. His pass blocking is negative 17.6. You cannot put the loss on any of these on Joe Flacco because of that, because his left tackle cannot protect him if it was even me. That's how bad it is. Now, good news, finally, yes, I know, finally, Marshall Yonda is the top-rated right guard, both in overall, plus 9.1, and as a run blocker. Wonderful news, as we all always expect Marshall Yonda to be an all-pro. Looks like he is not trending down yet. Wonderful. Brandon Williams, like I mentioned earlier, is the second-highest-graded nose tackle, plus 9.2, and he leads all defensive tackles as a run stuffer, plus 11.5. Brandon Williams, a very good pick. I remember even talking about him in one of my very first articles ever, not even before I was with the Baltimore Beatdown, but talking about how this seemed like an Aussie pick. He was a big kid from a school that was very quiet, uh, and he just dominated. And he dominated so massively in a small school and a small style of college that he couldn't take plays off. And when Aussie picked him and said he was excited about him, that was great news. And it's good to see him performing so well. Also, thanks to a huge Week 3 performance, Elvis Dumerville is now the 6th ranked pass rusher at a plus 5.3 out of all 3-4 linebacker, outside linebackers. Unfortunately, Courtney Upshaw is trying to outpace him in the negative department, though, and he ranks dead last. Courtney Upshaw ranks dead last at a negative 5.3. C.J. Mosley is the best pass rushing inside linebacker at a plus 3.3 and ranks 3rd overall plus 4.4, wrote about a little bit earlier, and he's above Navarro Bowman, Michael Kendricks, Bobby Wagner. He's only behind David Harris and Brian Cushing for overall ratings. That's some good company to see our C.J. Mosley, our shining Pro Bowl linebacker as a rookie, and 
fighting to be a top competitor in the Defensive Rookie of the Year last year, only losing out to Aaron Donald, and it was a back and forth on whether or not Khalil Mack or him should have gotten second place. It's exciting to see all three of those rookies do so well in their sophomore season, but obviously we're going to be partial to C.J. Mosley, that wonderful linebacker we drafted. Kyle Arrington, like Matt mentioned, is the number 91 of 100 in qualifying corners with a negative 4.3 coverage. That means only nine people are worse than him on the field right now if they have been out there for 70 coverage attempts. Not what we signed him up for. I remember talking about him. Matt and I both do. And in the slot, this guy is a monster, but apparently he doesn't feel like being Mr. Hyde or Dr. Jekyll. He wants to be the opposite one. I can't always remember which one those are, Matt. I apologize. <laughs> like, is it Mr. Hyde that was the bad guy or Dr. Jekyll? I can't remember. It was Dr. Jekyll was the doctor, and then Mr. Hyde was the monster. I had it right. I just backed out at the end, and I just went with cop-out. So, thank you. <laughs> no problem, Kyle. All right. Now, on the Steelers side of things, though, people, PFF grade summary for Steelers. Week 3 win against the St. Louis Rams. Stefan Tui, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown were among the top performers. Wonderful news for them. Terrible news for us, as those guys are all very shining weapons against the Ravens in their own aspects. Ben Roethlisberger is currently the top-ranked passer at a plus 14.7 in the league. That means his absence is going to be huge. I am not, I'm not sweating that he's out, folks. It's good news to hear that. Unfortunately, it's bad. I never cheer for injuries, and I hope Ben Roethlisberger gets healed up quickly. I'm just happy that we don't have to face him because these are people as well as football players, folks. But Despite playing just one game so far, Le'Veon Bell ranks 8th overall at a plus 3.1 among all halfbacks and 3rd as a pass catcher, plus 2.8. Backup, who turned to possible starter if it wasn't for Le'Veon Bell being so damn talented, D'Angelo Williams has been more than a serviceable replacement. He ranks 5th among all halfbacks with a run grade of plus 3.2. Last time I saw him, he was still running on the New England Patriots three weeks later because he could set the like he could get to the edge much quicker than they anticipated, I believe. And Rob Ninkovich, who is known very good for being an edge setting kind of outside linebacker slash DN, depending upon how they're running with him, he was getting embarrassed out there. So I'm not excited to see Courtney Upshaw in his dead last ranking try and seal the edge for Le'Veon Bell or D'Angelo Williams if they come swapping out a little bit more. Antonio Brown ranks second among all wide receivers as a pass catcher with a plus 12.1 ranking. David DeCastro ranks inside as a top 10 pass blocker, plus 2.7. He struggles very, very harshly as a run blocker, though, negative 6.6, which means that maybe Brandon Williams or Chris Canty can finally beat somebody up and get some serious pressure, get some serious hits or sacks. Please, 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 you guys, get going on that. Yes, he does rank 73rd. Very, very bad. Cody Wallace is ranked third worst overall among all centers, negative 11.2. Due to his horrific run blocking, which is a negative 8.7, that ranks dead last. So this is going to be a matchup that the Ravens are really going to look forward to. Cody Wallace being negative 8.7 in the run blocking. Brandon Williams ranking number one in run stuffing. So... Expect Brandon Williams to really give Cody Wallace a run for his money. And I expect Brandon Williams to actually be able to get some sacks because his pass rushing is lacking. 
But against somebody so negatively ranked, something bad is really going to happen for the Steelers, of course. Stefan Tui ranked sixth overall, plus 5.9, among all three forward defensive ends, including third as a pass rusher, plus 6.1. Ryan Chazier ranked second among all inside linebackers defending the run, plus 5.6. However, both he and Lawrence Timmons struggle against coverage, negative 3.4 and 3.8 respectively, where both rank in the bottom 10. Now, this is going to be a matchup that you're going to see who wants it less, because Justin Forsett and his pass-catching ability is last. And then these guys are both in the bottom 10, Ryan Chazier and Lawrence Timmons, against pass coverage. So if you see Justin Forsett coming through the backfield, and you might see Justin Forsett winning some, or you're going to see some bad coverage linebackers do something good. That's, that's going to be a very curious take, I believe, in my opinion, on what the hell is going to happen. Antoine Blake, Blake, excuse me, he also blank because he's been torched this year, ranking 92 out of all corners in coverage grade. Yes, Arrington's 91, and Antoine Blank is 92. His, his ranking is negative 4.4. Kyle Arrington is negative 4.3. So we're going to see which cornerback also wants it less, Arrington or Blake. I don't know, Matt. I don't like any of these rankings because both these teams have very bad players. We have some good ones. They have some good ones. They have a lot of good skill position guys. We have a lot of down, dirty, nitty-gritty kind of guys. You know, Marshall Yonda in the trenches, Brandon Williams in the trenches. And while on the opposing side, you see one of the best-ranking wide receivers, one of the best-ranking running backs and the tandem of them. What, what sticks out to you most? I know I just force-fed everybody loads of information right there. <laughs> I apologize. on kind of, It felt like a ramble just a little bit, but I did need everybody to hear these kind of rankings and such. Matt, what sticks out most to you? Well, you know, Kyle, it's, it's similar to what you had mentioned in the fact that the Ravens seem to have a lot more of the, the down-and-dirty players, the C.J. Mosley uh, being ranked third overall, uh, you know, Elvis Doomerville being ranked sixth overall as a pass rusher, Brandon Williams, second-highest ranked, uh, nose tackle, Marshall Yonda. So, you know, the Ravens seem to have it kind of pretty well set up in their front seven and on their offensive and defensive line in the meat of things. Uh, however, like you mentioned, they, they don't exactly have the best skill position guys. Right now, Jimmy Smith uh, is not doing all that well, or Darius Webb is doing eh. Kyle Arrington's doing terribly, uh, you know, and, and down the line, Marlon Brown, Kamar Aiken, that type of thing. So the complete opposite of that is the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, in which they've got guys like Le'Veon Bell, they've got Antonio Brown, they've got, uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger when he was healthy, uh, but they don't have any nitty-gritty get-down-in-the-trenches type of players that can really do uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, obviously, with Cody Wallace uh, being the third worst among all centers, um, you know, it's just not good things for the Steelers on a long-term basis versus the Ravens who can kind of weather the storm a little bit better and probably be better in the, at the end of the year for it, uh, which has been Baltimore's biggest thing over the seasons. Let's wait until the weather starts getting colder, and, and those guys like C.J. Mosley, Elvis Doomerville, Brandon Williams, Marshall Yonda, that's when you really start taking it to teams, and you really start to uh, you know, win those close games that the Ravens have lost early in the season. So um, you know, if, if the Ravens can get back on track, and it all starts tonight 
uh, in Pittsburgh, if they can get back on track, this is a team that can do incredibly well as the season wears on. Uh, but it, it all does rely on everything kind of getting back to normal here. Absolutely. This is going to be a very make-or-break night for the Ravens seasons, folks. If they do start out 0-4-1, that's going to be a new franchise record for most games lost to start the season, as they already tied, well, they already set the mark with 0-3 this season. But more importantly, losing two divisional games against the Bengals and then the Steelers and setting it 0-4 is that's pretty much the final nail in the coffin, it's so far to speak, is the Ravens ain't going to turn around and win 12 games in a row. They ain't going to win three times as many as they just lost to start the season. We're going to be starting to look at some draft profiles if the Ravens lose this game. I promise you that, folks. But <laughs> we're going to turn back the top clocks just a little bit. We're going to talk about the Week 3 Bengals matchup. First and foremost, the NFC Player of the Week, Offensive Player of the Week at that, A.J. Green, who owned the Ravens for 227 yards and two touchdowns, folks, including one 80-yard touchdown where he broke about two and a half tackles. I don't know if you counted as a half or not. They were ugly-looking tackles, Matt. I I hate this guy. I do. I like he's a good he's a good person outside of football, but he is a bad bad man when it comes to playing the Ravens. I don't know. Maybe he watched the Wire and he just hates. Baltimore City. I don't know what it is exactly, man, but A.J. Green is not a fan of the Ravens in the slightest. This man seems to do dirty work against them year in and year out. What did you did you see anything at all that spoke, maybe there's a way to finally stop A.J. Green? Maybe? Is there, I don't know what to ask on this, man. Every single game he gets away with everything, and every time we always let the Bengals slip away. Well, Kyle, you and I talked a little about before the podcast the best way to kind of stop A.J. Green. It's getting in his face with a big physical corner. Uh, you know, if you can get him at the at the line of scrimmage, put a hand in his chest, knock his rhythm off, that will be the biggest thing you can do because then you can get to Andy Dalton. It gives you a little bit more time to get to Andy Dalton. And then as we saw last week, you know, when you get to Andy Dalton, when you pressure him, he makes mistakes. And that right there is critical if you can buy that little extra bit of time. And again, that requires you to get in A.J. Green's face. You can take him out of the game by taking Andy Dalton out of the game. Uh, but that, that all breaks down to defensive scheme and being able to keep uh, you know, a safety on him as well. So that way you're kind of bracket coveraging him uh, with the cornerback and with the safety as well as jamming him at the line, uh, so that way, hopefully, you know, hopefully things go your way on that one. I, I think we we see that later on in the season when we play Cincinnati again the second time. Uh, John Harbaugh was pretty adamant about uh, the fact that they need to come up with a plan for AJ Green because he seems to uh, seems to be taking it to to the Ravens every single chance he gets. Uh, and, and speaking of which, uh, I believe the quote was. Uh, from AJ, or excuse me, from John Harbaugh, something along the lines of, uh, you know, one of these days we'll figure out. Uh, here we go. One of these days we'll figure out how to cover AJ Green. It'd be nice if we did it one time before he retires. <laughs> and that's from John Harbaugh after the game. Uh, I feel his pain, man. Calling that game last week, I feel his pain. 
about every third time the Bengals were on offense, it's Matthew Stevens going, and pass goes to the left, to the right, wherever the hell he wants to be, because that's where A.J. Green's going to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty much it, man. Yeah. Frustratingly, man. Very, very frustrating. Ravens defense finally did something to Andy Dalton, uh, something that no other team has done so far. They sacked him twice and intercepted him for his first interception on the season. He is now, I believe, 10 touchdowns to one interception. Obviously a wonderful rating and a wonderful plus-minus on that kind of department and ratio. But Andy Dalton looks poised to finally break out, and he seems angry because I would be too if I was Andy Dalton. He was even booed in Cincy during a baseball game. So that guy, (laughs) I remember writing that article too. That was weird. I was like, where is he at? Pittsburgh throwing out a pitch or something? No, he was at the All-Star game in Ohio getting booed by his own fans. So that's not even cool. But, yeah, Andy Dalton's a good player. Everybody ranks him as about like the middle – of the pack kind of player. He doesn't show in primetime, and he cannot shake that. And since that wasn't a primetime game, a lot of people aren't going to count it because the only time everybody's eyes are on him are on Monday night, Thursday night, and a playoff game where he still hardly ever wins any of those primetime games. They never has won a playoff game either. So the Ravens did finally get pressure to him. What did you like that you saw from there that the Ravens could attribute or use for their upcoming match against the Steelers, Matthew? Uh, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure if they could use anything from that against the Steelers. I mean, it, it's two very different teams in how they play. It's two very different approaches on how you would do things. I, I think when it comes time to to play the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers tonight, I, I think the Ravens have a different game plan completely. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on, but that's going to be, um, you know, getting after Michael Vick, trying to go ahead and... Uh, put up passing yards uh, against that terrible secondary and uh, just generally trying to keep the ball more often than not, hopefully make some big plays one way or another on either side of the ball. Makes some serious sense right there. Thank you. I I don't know if you can attribute a lot of it. Uh, the, the wide receiver difference is huge. A lot of people don't realize that A.J. Green is actually a pretty big wide receiver in his height aspect. He's not a buff superstar, like, powerhouse player. You know, he's not like Des Bryant where he's built to be able to shove around other players or Julio Jones or, God, bring him apart, Calvin Johnson, where he is looks like a defensive end that can play like a ballerina, you know. A.J. Green <laughs> is very smooth in that aspect like that, whereas Antonio Brown is the most finesse player I've ever watched. His tactical run route ability, his route running ability, excuse me, I have my words backwards, his hands, his movements. I don't think he does a single movement that isn't in motion to what he is trying to accomplish. There's no extra motion. There's no extra movement. He's so tactical in his abilities that he's a perfectionist, and there's no way to stop him. He's, it's just not a possibility. He has gone, I believe, 34 games now with at least five catches and at least 50 yards. That man is insane. Just absolutely crazy in that aspect. Dude's done over two seasons worth straight in consecutive games. You know what? I feel like catching another five footballs and another 50 yards. That's, and you guys ain't going to stop me. You know. So that's why, like you said, it's very tough to judge how the Ravens are going to come at this game. 
maybe they finally do go with press coverage because they don't do it against AJ Green, you know. Um, but it's going to be very difficult, and hopefully against Michael Vick, they start bringing some more pressure, I think. I think they realized when they were playing the Bengals, you can't send a three-man rush. You can't do that against the Raiders. You couldn't do it against the Bengals. You can't send only three guys, drops eight into coverage, and hope for the best. you got to get out there, and you got to get some pressure on them, because that's when Andy Dalton finally was making mistakes, was when we sent pressure. That's how the interception happened. That's how the, the two sacks happened. It's because of the pressure. You need to be able to get your guys to the, to the quarterback. And I think that's the one thing they'll take away from it is, hey, we seem to finally have done something when we set some pressure. Let's get some guys out there and let's go hit a quarterback. I'm hoping that's what we see more of. Now, on the offensive side of the ball for the Ravens, Joe Flacco had a solid outing, putting up 362 yards and two touchdowns with only one interception. A large portion of that, obviously, was going to be Steve Smith Sr. himself with 186 yards and two touchdowns. For the first time in his career, he's done back-to-back games of 150 yards plus. Matt, do you see that more because Joe Flacco's force-feeding him targets, or is Steve Smith just still this good? I think it's a little bit of both, Kyle. I mean, I think, obviously, Steve Smith had some concentration drops last season. Uh, he, he was... He was the guy that Joe Flacco went to most of all, and we're seeing that repeat itself this season. Uh, but we're not seeing those concentration drops that we saw last season. I mean, outside of the, the first week of the season, in which he dropped the uh, possible game-winning uh, touchdown there. But he, the guy's just been on fire. And then the biggest thing for Steve Smith so far has been the fact that when he does get the ball in his hands, he is saying no to every single defender that comes his way. You, you want to try to take him down? He's going to shrug you off and go for 50 yards. You want to go ahead and come up on him and try to make a play? He's going to put his hand so far into your face mask, your mama's going to feel it. <laughs> I love watching and, him play, and, man. I love it. it he's, he's just, he seems to be reinvigorated by the fact that this is his last season and the fact that, and, and we've said this before, Kyle, that this is a man that when you count him out, plays the hardest you'll ever see. When, when you talk about his height, he plays the biggest he possibly can. When you talk about his age, he lights up a second God, That's so insane that he can do that. Exactly. And, and now that we're seeing him in his final season, we're seeing him go, I'm not done yet. And, and as Steve Smith would say it, I'm not done yet, motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. It ain't happening. We saw it against Cincinnati as the biggest way, and you said that obviously he went for 186 yards and two touchdowns. He was seen on the sidelines uh, shouting out some player numbers from the Cincinnati Bengals defense going trash, trash. He's a fuck boy. He's trash. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The mouth on him. He, he epitomizes Raven football so very well. I think he should have been with us the entire, the entire time instead of the Panthers. Panthers fans, don't take that as a disrespect to you. I just I love watching this guy play, and I – Want us to get him a championship so very badly, folks. And obviously, all all of you, all all the Panther fans that are in agreement, go, let's go win him a championship, you know. But I want to see this guy just shred the league for his final season. I don't want him to ever be gone. I want him to play next year. I want to put him in some cyborg, you know, robot legs. Let's get him running still with uh, whatever we can to keep him on the field. The guy's a wonderful player. His what a outing he's trying to finish up with, you know. He's willing this team into victory as hard as he physically can. And I think that's the big thing here is 
Smith Sr. wants to win. That's all he wants to do. He If he put up zero yards on zero catches for zero touchdowns and the team won, he'd be more proud of that than currently what he's doing. Putting up 186 yards, two touchdowns, and losing? I know he's more frustrated with that because all he's thinking to himself is, i got to even do more. i got to do even more to get us to win. And that's, that's exactly the mindset of Steve Smith Sr. here. Well, Kyle, you know, a, a quick tidbit to, to know about Steve Smith right now is that obviously it's we're only three games into the season, mm-hmm. but he is currently on pace for 1,861 yards <laughs> on the season. That, that's just on the regular season. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, he, he was dinged a lot by that first game against the Denver Broncos in which he only caught two passes, 13 yards. Right. But like you said, back-to-back 150-plus yard games – that right there is putting him close to a 2,000-yard season. If he can keep up this pace, which I have no doubt in my mind, he will. Yeah? You really believe in that? Uh, I think I think we see a Steve Smith that ends with 1,500-plus yards this season. Right. He's, he looks just like he's going to be a number one wide receiver still. I came into this saying that. I remember you and I discussing what exactly entitles a number one wide receiver. And I said, a guy that can run all routes to everything on the field, and the only player on the Ravens that can do that is going to be Steve Smith Sr. You and I discussed that a long time, but we both went and eventually agreed upon, yeah, Steve Smith Sr. is going to be the number one unless Rashad Perryman gets that. And Rashad Perryman is going to do that from the sideline, folks, as I mentioned earlier, with his surgery, which is so very wonderful to talk about once again and be reminded of frustratingly. Now, up next, we actually have a recorded segment from a friend. Matt, I'm actually going to let you describe everything that's going on on here. We have Ken McCusick here, better known as Film Study. You can find him on Twitter at Film Study Ravens or at the Russell Street Report website. How are you doing today, Ken? Life is good. How are you doing, Matt? I'm, I'm doing pretty awesome right now. Uh... We're excited for Thursday night football, first and foremost. I mean, against the Steelers, shoot, uh, there's no better way to spend my evening. The sooner the game gets here, the better. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, first up is, if you've been watching the season, the Baltimore Ravens have not done a good job at getting the running game working. And that's a pretty far departure from last season when Justin Forsett was averaging, what, right around 5.4 yards a carry. Uh, looking at it, they've run almost all right up the middle this season, uh, at least uh, a certain majority up the gut right behind center. Is that part of the reason why Forsett in this running game just is not working? I don't know if I if I blame that directly. Obviously, not having a left tackle that you trust with first there is a problem, and and he hasn't been a good run blocker. He hasn't been a good pass blocker either. Obviously, um, on on the other side, Wagner. I'm not sure what's wrong. I'm, I, at this point, after three games, I'm concerned. Um, he's given up a lot of pressure, and he also had a very bad run blocking game this last week with a lot of misses. Um, got a problem with missing cut blocks that, that um, is really not good in a wide zone scheme. So that's that's part of the reason it's gonna gonna restrict the ability to cut back if the if the tackle can't um, cut on the backside or um, the the usually the end or the uh, the uh, tackle there. So anyway, there there's lots of reasons. Um, I think you pull I'm not sure that, that I really know enough to speak 
to why they are running up the middle more than on the ends. Um, uh, obviously, the running game isn't working. Um, it's not. It's not the biggest Ravens problem on offense. Obviously, they need to get the intermediate and deep passing games going in terms of uh, of how I look at it. Um, those plays tend to be higher leverage. More change in the likely game result occurs on those plays than, than on the run plays uh, in any case. Okay, and, and that makes complete sense. I mean, the, the Ravens have been able to put up tons of points so far in the first three games uh, against Denver. They didn't do so great, but that was you know a defensive slugfest. Against Oakland, they did you know pretty well actually against a, a surprisingly stout. Uh, defense that the the Raiders have, or at least uh, under underrated defense that the Raiders have, and then against Cincinnati they did fairly well as well. So uh, it doesn't look like the run game is you know killing this offense, but at the same time we've seen uh, a lot of people starting to question: Is Forsett done? Is this he's just not a good fit in this scheme right now? It is, uh, or excuse me, in this offense, or is there another issue at play? What, what's going on to where both Javorius Buck Allen and Lorenzo Taliaferro have more yards per carry than him. Well, I mean, all all three are in poor yards per carry territory. Yeah. I, th- I think the blame goes to the offensive line. I don't really think it goes to the running backs. And I, since I generally think that, um, I don't ever think it's worth spending money on a running back. So there's only a little bit of additional value you can get from having a good running back. But this line last year made lots of level two opportunities for Forsett. Forsett had a little bit of speed and a little bit of elusiveness to make you good use of those things. And he had a lot of ability to be patient behind the line and wait for that hole to develop. If we'd had a really great running back um, last year with a number of level two opportunities, I do think it would have been worth having. I mean, Jamal Lewis in his prime was a really good combination of speed and power, or a Ray Rice with his power and elusiveness, you know, the ability to get into level two and really then make other people miss and, and, and get a lot of additional yardage. Imagine if they'd had CJ2K in his prime, you know, running behind that line. All of those would have been great. But, you know, any running back, frankly, who can be patient, wait for the hole, and has a little bit of speed, um, could have done very well behind last year's Ravens. I think it's mostly about the, the, the breakdowns there and, and how things are, are not going as well. They played you know, some good teams defensively in both Cincinnati and Denver. Um, I don't think Oakland was as bad as people uh, you know, think they are, but of course the Ravens also did rack up a, a significant number of points against Oakland. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame the running back at this point. I think it's mostly on the offensive line to get the game going. Okay. Well, you know, speaking of the offensive line, we did talk a little about them last week when, when we did our, our little segment. Uh, did the offensive line do any better in Cincinnati than they did in the first two weeks? No, no, I can't, I can't really say they did. Um, you know, you've, you've got a, a, a smattering of different things happening across the line. Hurst has been a, a consistent disaster on the left side, um, improving slightly each week. Um, you know, how I'd state it is, He's now all the way up to the replacement level with his game this last week. Um, I, I saw that, that PFF had him for a minus 10, and I want to give you two reasons to not take that all that seriously. And the first is that the PFF gives a full assignment for any pass-blocking event in, in the event, uh, if there are multiple breakdowns on the line. So you have one pressure that occurs. Flacco's pressure, he, he, you know, maybe he throws incomplete or maybe he throws a complete, doesn't matter. Um, if 
three different people do their assignment, and, and that caused the pressure. They'll give a pressure to each of those three people. And I, I don't do that. I, I, you know, I definitely give out partial pressures. And the number of pressure assigned to the entire line should be equivalent to the number of times Joe was actually pressured. And that, that works pretty well, uh, particularly when the players are next to each other. I actually like this system maybe a little bit better when, the, when, you're, when you're looking at two tackles on the opposite side. Give you one more reason that I don't really like this, and I, I have to go back 25 years to about 1990 when they first started um, putting out o OPS on baseball slugging, and it was adding two things that, that were not of equal value. And it's always been true in baseball that a, a point of on-base percentage is worth more than a point of slugging percentage. Yet they added these two things together to create this simple one-stop statistic. And I know that generally speaking, you have the on-base and slugging available separately, and you can look at that. But OPS is quoted so frequently now that, that, that I've, I've had a problem with it since the beginning. But frankly, adding pass blocking and run blocking numbers together is much more egregious. And that's what's going on otherwise is the, the, they grade the players on a plus two to minus two scale um, for run blocking and pass blocking on every play. And then they just add those together as if they're equivalent in value. Uh, now, they provide those separately, and I think each of those numbers is very well-crafted, I, I believe, thoroughly in the way they look at their plays and the way they grade them, but you just need to be careful when you're adding together things that are not like. And so a bad pass, a bad pass blocking scale, big reason for concern. A, a bad run blocking score, um, not nearly as much of a concern, and, and it's something that you need, to, you need to be careful to weight differently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, the the big rule for us is that uh, PFF is great in com in combination with your eye. Uh, if you're not meeting the eye test, you can use PFF to kind of look at it maybe a little bit deeper. But if you go solely off of Pro Football Focus's scores as the end all be all, uh, it, it doesn't tell the full story, and a lot of the times it can kind of give you the wrong impression. Uh, as as it did with Forsett, obviously he's not been all that great, but like we've talked about here, uh, PFF had him ranked as one of the worst running backs in the league, but it's it's all about the offensive line just not doing their job so far. So there's really nothing there that I think that Forsett could do that a uh, much better running back could do differently uh, to turn it into a huge gain or anything like that. Right. I mean, but, there are there are things like yards after contact and whatnot. They're going to be they're going to be judging for a running back and where that contact first occurs is a big deal in terms of how much of an opportunity there is for yards after contact. Obviously, if the first contact occurs in level two from a cornerback, there's a much bigger opportunity for yards after contact than if the first hit appears by a defensive tackle a yard in the backfield. You know, it's exactly. Much, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's. Uh... So that that's why, you know, kind of around the, the writer circles, a lot of the times uh, I've heard the terms uh, used where it's just, you know, you, you use it in combination. It's not the end-all, be-all. But uh, going from the offense to the defense, the defense did a lot of good things last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. And I know before everyone comments or yells at me and says, oh, my God, they did terrible, they did get after Andy Dalton. And they pressured him uh, a number of times. They actually sacked him twice, which was the first time this season. Uh, in addition to that, they intercepted him once, which was the first time this season that Andy Dalton's been intercepted. So they made a guy who was, you know, looking all-star look rather ordinary when you kind of compare those things. 
uh, out on that front. Now, obviously, he had a ton of yards, uh, and that's A.J. Green's fault. But, um, you know, what did you see out of this defense uh, in relation to Andy Dalton? Okay. Um, yeah, I, I love the topic. I'll, I'll speak to that. Um, they did get after Dalton fairly well. And one, one statistic of my design is something called ample time and space. And I'll, I'll give you the definition in brief. is the quarterback has three seconds to throw in a 120-degree arc that he can step into um, uh, based on the – or sorry, centered on the targeted receiver. So it has to be 60 degrees clear in either direction. Okay. On – 16 of 34 plays only, which is a little bit below average, Dalton had ample time and space. He had 18 where he did not have ample time and space um, this last week. And that doesn't, that, that rules out all the penalties, and that was obviously a big problem for the secondary there as well. I call the pressure adequate, possibly even slightly above average, given the nature of Cincinnati's defensive line. The Ravens did have to do some things to manufacture that pressure, but I still think overall the pressure result was pretty good. The problem was Dalton was able to burn the Ravens' defense even when pressured. And his eight completions, uh, I have this here, I know, very very closely here, his eight completions when he did not have ample time and space were for 32, 31, 47, 6, 14, 80, 23, and 19 yards. Okay, so he threw for 252 yards with one touchdown, 13.4 yards per play on those 18 plays. Occasionally, I'm asked, what's the most egregious thing? What's the strangest thing you've ever seen in statistics? I think I would quote this right now. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's about the most anomalous thing I've ever said. Flacco has been very consistent over the last five years, averages right around four yards per throw when he does not have ample time and space, and about eight yards per throw, actually about 8.2 and 4.2, when he does have ample time and space. So you can look at that as the line gives you good blocking on a pass play. It's worth about four yards. So if I use Flacco's expectation for Dalton, I would have expected those 18 plays to go for about 75 yards, and they actually went for 241. So that was a 166-yard um, differential. So while the Ravens did get pressure, and I think it was, it was decent pressure, and certainly the Doomerville sack uh, resulted in a touchdown, um, I can't really complain about the pressure, but the secondary did not get it done in, in terms of the back end. If you look at that game, and I'm sure you saw the same things I did, Matt, but the um, ability to blow back a cover by the safeties was just awful. And they had underneath responsibilities on some play. One was Brooks underneath on Green on a 17-yard completion on third and nine. He was not nearly in the right area. Hill was very late in coverage. Um, when you play single high, it's easy to blame the safeties for some of this because the safety is, is often playing on the wrong hash. Dalton is looking at where the safety is playing deep, and he's automatically thinking he's going to throw to the other hash to get the single coverage. And then you see a safety running and he's, you know, five, six yards out of the play. Well, it's because he had to run all the way across the field. So yeah. you, 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 I know you know that, but it's, it's one of the reasons why those kind of coverages break down. But the other is that, that you know, our cornerbacks are just having a lot of trouble staying with the uh, the individual. The only guy who played really well on Sunday, and it's just, it's, you know, it's nice to have one of these, is Lardarius Webb, who returned to the slot, allowed only one completion for nine yards. He's only thrown at three times, and he just had a very impressive game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you and I talked a lot about uh, Ladarius Webb 
last week before the Cincinnati game and, and how that he might fit better into uh, being a slot cornerback. Obviously, he, he doesn't have the size that a guy like Rashawn, uh, Rashawn Melvin or Jimmy Smith have, uh, and that kind of suits better to those slot-type positions, especially since they, the Ravens like to use him a lot as a blitzing corner. Uh, so, you know, it was nice to kind of see those things and uh, see, see Darius Webb kind of return back to form a little bit against Cincinnati. Uh, on the other hand, you know, the rest of the secondary, like you mentioned, did an awful job covering either A.J. Green or Jones. Uh, you know, wh- what do you think they can do to fix that against Antonio Brown this week? Well, I, I mean, it's unusual that the Ravens do this, but the Ravens actually had Jimmy Smith um, shadowing A.J. Green for the game. Now, very typically, um, he is a uh, one-side RCB. He doesn't he doesn't switch over to the left side. He doesn't switch over the slot to cover the dangerous receiver. I don't know what they'll do this week um, with regard to that. I, I, I'm, you know, obviously Smith's game was bad, but he had an interception. He he, he had the by far the toughest coverage assignment. Um, it's it just it's. I'm not sure what they really can do. Um, you know, Pittsburgh. Antonio Brown's not nearly their only weapon uh, in terms of a guy who can run down the field and and make big plays. Uh, if you let the pocket get extended, you you know he's uh, uh, the entire secondary is at risk for from these Pittsburgh receivers. Okay, okay. I mean, it, it seems like it's going to be a tough game, obviously, for the Ravens going up against uh, Michael Vick-led Steelers. Uh, especially since they have Antonio Brown, they've got Le'Veon Bell, and, and like you mentioned, they've got more than enough weapons uh, outside of those two players as well. Uh, this secondary obviously needs to get things kind of kicked into another gear and play a far more solid game. Uh, they couldn't finish last week, and, and that's been kind of the uh, general overall theme from all the games so far, is that the secondary is just not able to finish out a game when the offense is on its final drive, they kind of end up giving up the much-needed points in order to go ahead and win. Uh, so hopefully, you know, with Michael Vick at the helm, the Ravens are able to get a little bit more back to what they want to do, and they're able to kind of put themselves in a the good position. Yeah, I mean, a less accurate quarterback is is more of a chance to make a big play to get off the field as time's running out. And Derek Carr... He looks like the real deal, I gotta say, in week two. And, and uh, yeah. uh, I think I think that Oakland has a good quarterback now. And and Dalton is playing well right now, and we know he's been up and down over the course of his career, picking in big games. But um, you know, he certainly was effective getting the ball off under pressure in this game, which is something that that I think was part of the Ravens' game plan was try and pressure him, see if he can make any mistakes. And he really didn't. He he, he made the big plays under pressure in this game to beat the Ravens. Yeah, but Michael Vick, I think the chances are, are greater, obviously, with a player like that, that he's going to make some substantial mistakes that can really help you out. Excellent. Well, you know, hopefully, like I said, this is the game where the Ravens can get themselves back on track and uh, maybe get a little bit of a defensive battle going on for, for themselves uh, versus what has been typically the case. The Baltimore Ravens have been kind of a high scoring on offense, and then the defense has been letting them down. But, uh, again, this is... Ken McCusick, you probably better know him as Film Study. You can find him on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. Seriously, like after the game in between the two weeks, or in between the weeks, uh, he hooks you up with a ton of good information. 
and a ton of stats that you probably wouldn't even think about knowing. Uh, and you can also find him at RussellStreetReport.com. Thanks for uh, joining with us, Ken. I appreciate that, and uh, go Ravens. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Man, that guy is very informative. What do you say? I absolutely think that, and that's part of the reason why we went ahead and grabbed him up uh, to be on our podcast tonight and really help out. So thanks again to Ken McCusick, uh, and you can find him, as we had mentioned before, on Russell Street Report, or even better yet, on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. Absolutely. Now, once again, folks, I do want to remind you that we have a contest going on right now. If you tune in to the Baltimore at Pittsburgh Rabblecast, brought to you from Rabble.tv and us at Baltimore Beatdown, we're all going to be, me and Matt, or Matt and I, more politically correct and grammatically correct, Matt and I are going to be calling and broadcasting the game. You're going to mute your TV, you're going to tune on in and watch the game, and you're going to listen to us instead of whoever the hell is calling that game. Now, tune in. Comment on that thing, on our broadcast, and you have a shot at winning a jersey. Yes, a free jersey from Rabble.tv through our show. Win an NFL, NBA, I don't know. You can win a jersey, buddy. And I'd love to be able to be a part of this, but I have to be too busy actually broadcasting. But please tune in. It's the best way. You get a free jersey for listening to Matt and I and not... Whoever is it going to be Chris Collinsworth? Is that who usually is on Thursdays? I think that's Collinsworth. Yeah. Michael, or is it Al Michaels? And yeah, I think, that's I think it yeah, it's Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. Okay, right. if you don't want to listen to Collinsworth and Michaels, and you would prefer to listen to me and Matthew Stevens instead, you also yeah. get a jersey, folks. And Matt and I called the game pretty fairly. I actually feel that we are not, you know, huge lover. Like I know we are. Our name is Baltimore Beatdown. We write about the Baltimore Ravens. But I try to pride myself on being very unbiased in my calls. I'm going to be as excited for Antonio Brown scoring a 67-yard touchdown as I am as Steve Smith scores a 67-yard touchdown, barring that it is not the game winner with one second left. That's the only time in which I will be super excited for the Ravens more than the Steelers on that call. So please tune in. Win a free jersey. Comment on our... Rabblecast, our broadcast, and have some fun listening to some fans call the actual game. It's the best way to go about it. Up next, we did talk to Neil Kulong earlier today. Got a recording of that. Interviewed him. He is Matt. What? Where is he from again? DK Pittsburgh Sports. Uh, you can go ahead and check him out there, as well as on Twitter at Neil Kulong. We got Neil Kulong here. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, at Neil Coulong, C-O-O-L-O-N-G. Uh, he is a writer for DK Pittsburgh Sports, and you can find that at DKPittsburghSports.com. How you doing today, Neil? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Uh, doing fantastic over here. Having a good day. Having a good day. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Ben Roethlisberger if you've been living under a rock and then under that rock you went ahead and dug a giant hole and then became a mole person, you might not know that Ben Roethlisberger was injured. So, Neil, what the hell happened on that play to cause that injury? I don't know, but you just ruined it for the for the poor mole person doesn't know that Roethlisberger's hurt <laughs> going into this game. 
Um, it, it looked to me, um, and it all happened really fast the way injuries do, but it looked to me like the Steelers had an empty backfield, and the Rams brought uh, six rushers on the play. So in that case, you're, you're thinking there are five receivers in the pattern against five defensive backs, and that, that, that usually is a pretty uh, pretty big advantage for a quarterback like Roethlisberger. But it, it's usually a play in which the quarterback's going to get rid of the ball uh, pretty quickly. They're going to throw a short route to somebody that, that turns hot. And the hope is, you know, you have numbers advantage at that point. You make one guy miss and everybody gets blocked. You have to go a long way. It looked to me like Roethlisberger didn't want to do that. Instead, he tried to, to step up in the pocket and make a play down the field, um, you know, somebody uh, breaking a little bit deeper. And uh, Mark Barron, the, the Rams defensive back who was blitzing, uh, I don't think he was hit by anybody. I think he just got kind of tripped up. And he went to the ground and, and to me, it uh, looked like while he was on the ground, he lunged at, at Roethlisberger's leg, got up a little bit too high, hit him right on the knee, and that caused uh, an MCL sprain and a bone bruise, which Roethlisberger told us um, in the locker room the other day that he thought his leg was broken. Because initially when it happened, he said he heard a loud pop, like a bang or something like that, which you know, I think is broken bone. The doctor told him that his two leg bones actually like clapped together. That's what the noise Ooh. was. and. At that point, Ben said, "Yes, I'm in a lot of pain, so <laughs> you can you can understand why." Um, it, it was a kind of a, a freaky fluke type of thing. I've, I've heard reports that uh, Barron will not be fined for it. Uh, no flag was thrown on the play either. Um, to me, I I don't think it was a dirty hit. I do think that it was something that you know I, I've seen them flag in the past. Um, we've seen fines for that before. I'm not really sure why. Uh, that is the case that they aren't going to find Bear, and I, I don't think we'll get an explanation as to why either. But um, it, you know, that, that's what it is in the NFL, and, and uh, the Steelers are going to have to find a way to, to keep the offense going without their quarterback. All right, another question that we're getting is, what is the outlook for him this season? Him being Ben Roethlisberger, obviously, and is it really going to be four to six weeks, or is there a feeling around the locker room that, that it might be even longer? Um, I, I wouldn't listen to a four- to six-week diagnosis, and not because I don't think he'll be back in four to six weeks. I, I legitimately think right now they really don't know, and they're not going to rush him back. The absolute last thing they want to do uh, is put his knee. He's got two, two, basically two bad knees now. Um, this, yeah. this is on his left one. He injured his right one um, earlier in his career with kind of a similar type of thing. Um, I, I think they're going to wait to make absolute sure that he has the most strength, the most flexibility uh, possible in that left knee. Um, yeah, I, I just judging by what you said and, and, you know, other medical reports that have come out, it doesn't sound to me, um, a, a non-doctor, that a four- to six-week timeline is really all that realistic. But uh, what I know is that date is going to be based on when he's ready, not when the team needs him to be back, because he was asked if he has, like, a target date or anything like that. Um, when he wants to come back, and he said, yeah, Thursday. So, I mean, it, it's, it's not a question that, uh, of him not wanting to get out there. Um, they're going to be cautious about this. They have a lot of money invested in him, and I, in my opinion, what we're going to see tonight is that the team absolutely needs him to be back, and that, that's a long-term problem, not one that, that uh, you can just take care of in, in 2015. I would say something more like, you know, an eight-week timeline, um, if, if I was to venture a guess, just based on the things that uh, he has said and the team has said, they're going to be cautious about it. I think they, they brought him back a little bit early in, in 2012 when he injured his shoulder. Uh, he played very poorly down the stretch. They missed a playoff opportunity um, largely because he, he just wasn't the same player. He couldn't throw. He was hesitant. Um, 
I would expect it, you know, might even be, you know, the, the week 13 rematch against Baltimore for all we can see right now. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen a little bit uh, on Twitter from some of the other, you know, Twitter doctors that are out there that, that I'm sure everyone knows about that said, uh, obviously, the bone bruise is essentially a micro fracture in the bone. Uh, it's just called a bone bruise because I guess that's probably easier for people to understand. But uh, it, it sounds like a terrible injury. And whenever you have an, an injury to a ligament, especially, those things can fluctuate so much in their time frames. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that it sounds terrible. And you never want an injury to happen to, you know, anyone, really. I mean, unless you're unless you're a douche and then you're all for injuries. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you guys have not had the best play to the backup quarterback position so far. Uh, and, and then obviously an injury to uh, your, your previous backup has led the Ravens or excuse me, led the Steelers to grab Michael Vick. Um before Michael Vick was taken, what was the situation around around Pittsburgh? I mean, what what did people kind of think about the backups that were already there? Um, Pittsburgh is unique in the sense that, and I, I'm, it, perhaps Baltimore is the same way, but this is a town in which uh, the backup quarterback is not the most popular player on the team. Um, <laughs> Bruce Gradkowski was the backup. Um, he entered training camp with a shoulder injury. He was put on the PUP list uh, right away. Took him a bit to get back. I think it was their uh, their third preseason game, the one against the Packers. Um, Gradkowski came in the game, and he played like two snaps and then uh, fumbled and broke his hand or did something to his hand uh, diving for the fumble. And he was put on IR. Um, and subsequently, that was the point where the Steelers uh, gave Vic a call, brought him in for a workout, and then signed him um, later on that same day. And really, it, it's a, a question of the, the true least popular player on the Steelers roster, the third-string quarterback, Andrew Jones. And, yes, the Steelers fans are, are that committed to hating the team that they get after the third-string quarterback. Of the team. Um, don't ask me why that even matters anymore. But people, are, uh, people are really hot to Andrew Jones. Um, he's he's not a, a starting caliber player. I, I think he's there more for you know. You hope to get some type of developmental um, you know asset in him, and he's there to, to kind of help prep the starter. Um, he takes very few snaps, if any, in, in you know your regular practice. Uh, it's largely there to help with film study, to help communicate on the sidelines, things like that. And that's that's really the true role of third string quarterback. But in, in Clearly, the, the coaches, by signing uh, Vic as quickly as they did, indicated that Jones is not uh, capable of being that backup, and there was never a competition of who the backup would be after Vic came in. So, uh, Vic is going to be their guy, um, you know, probably come hell or high water. It, it's, it's a tough situation to have now, obviously, and nothing really is ideal, but um, quarterback is not an easy position to play. And um, I think most fan bases can say there, there was a time in, in the recent past in which their quarterback didn't play very well. So you, you understand the frustration that comes with that, but then you look on the waiver wire at that point in the year, there's even less out there than there would be in the offseason. After, after free agency, after the draft, there's really not a whole lot available. And I, I think Vic really was the best option, but that certainly doesn't mean it's a very good option. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was something that we all noticed when Vic got signed. Obviously, the uh, past as a dog killer and I'm using you know finger quotes here uh, everything that kind of went into that process obviously fans were not 
pumped about having him there. But like you said, I mean, who, who else are you going to get? There's nobody really else out there. And while Ben Roethlisberger hasn't had a ton of injuries uh, over the last few years, he he is a guy that is known to be injured, and you need a guy that at least played a starting caliber game at one point in his career. And Vic's really the only one that was out there at the time uh, to side in that caliber. Yeah, I, I think yeah, that's I, probably, I think that's probably the best way. It's not really, not really. Um, it's, it's tough to say. Tough to say you have, you have um, um, you know, better players you know, out, better players out, better job, a better job. I'm, I'm writing. I'm, I'm writing I'm, the gap here already. <laughs> you, know, it, it, you don't really have <laughs> much really of a choice. And I, I think there were issues uh, with some fans based on you know his conviction um, from a couple of years ago time that's already been served and there are other fans that said flat out well i don't really care about any of that what i care about is, is a, having a decent quarterback come in and, and try to help lead this team through a tough stretch and i'm not sure Vic is that guy either so i mean you really uh I, I don't think there's a whole lot of confidence from you know the fan base um in Vic, even with the weapons that he's going to have on offense to deal with and it, it's really i, I don't know I, it, it's tough to see what exactly they're going to do um, preparing for a short week, preparing on a short week for a division rival, um, you know, I think the league's hope in uh, scheduling Thursday night games against known opponents is, is to help with preparation time as much as they can. But I, I can speak to this directly. There's really just the, the low amount of time to get ready for a football game um, on a Thursday night. It, it's, it's very difficult. And you're looking at a quarterback who's pretty much the polar opposite of the one that, that you had started, you have to reinvent a large part of your offense. And I, I don't think they really have a whole lot of time to do much of that. So I, I think you're either going to look at a very basic and very dramatic change from what the Steelers have been doing on offense to the point where the Ravens really won't have any film to, to study. They, they won't know uh, what exactly it is that they're trying to do. Or you're going to look at them, try to employ a lot of the same stuff in which case you're, you're going to see a bloodbath. It's not going to be pretty because he really just can't do um, a lot of what Roethlisberger can do. And that, that's kind of, you know, the obvious statement of the day. But um, it, it, I, I honestly don't know which way they'll go with him. Well, I mean, we, we're talking a little about injuries, obviously, and, and the injury to Roethlisberger. Uh, but Vic is kind of been known to be a little injury prone over the last few seasons himself. That that running style has worked for him in the past when he was young and probably a little bit more limber. Uh, now that he's getting, you know, gray hairs, uh, you know, running out of the backfield's probably not the best move for him, but he is yet to be able to kind of stop that. <laughs> I, I know this is just begging for terribleness, but uh, what, what happens if Vic gets injured in this game? Who's... Who's left for the Steelers? I mean, in in the short term and the long term. I'm I'm just going to put my statistics hat on here. I'm not making any kind of prediction. I'm not saying that this should happen. We want this to happen. Anything like that. Vic has been hurt basically one out of every three games he's played since he was released from prison. I honestly, I, I don't see a situation in which he's not going to get hurt if he plays over an extended period of time. And a huge part of that is, is on him. Um, he yeah. can't move the way that he once used to move. If you look back at the Rams game, um, the third and long play, I think it was in the second drive that he was in for, and maybe his first complete drive. Um, it, it's, you know, it's a long down. There's really not a whole lot out there for him. So he's, he's running and he's not going full speed. It's really more or less like, let's try to get some yards here and, and 
you know, not turn the ball over. We're, we're going to punt. We know that our, our primary read on this play didn't work. So, you know, whatever it is, and, and he's kind of, you know, jogging on toward the sideline. And I forget what Rams player it was, but he just tattooed him, just smacked him right in the chest. Not in a, you know, a, a real malicious way, but just kind of a, hey, I, I own you type of thing. He fumbled the ball. He went down out of bounds. And it's like, Vic, <laughs> at some point you're going to learn you can't do that, okay? You have to protect yourself. You basically walk right into this guy. And it went down to the sack for zero-yard game. What that means is the quarterback didn't do anything to, to make a play. So it's either you need to get up the field and try to make something happen and get your butt down as quickly as you can or get the hell out of bounds. You know, one or the other, you, you can't really kind of sit halfway. That's what gets him hurt. And it, yeah. to whatever degree he's in shape, I, I can't really speak to that. But you get hamstring injuries. You know, you really can't throw all that well with a hamstring injury. And a lot of that is due to tightness, which can be due to a lack of conditioning. It can be due to, you know, he's not in shape. He's not limber enough, like you mentioned. Um, he can bring a lot of those injuries upon himself. And in his past injury career, I, in my opinion, more than even his accuracy or his decision-making is more of a problem right now for the Steelers. Um, I, I will say this, though. If you want entertainment, get on Twitter if Michael Vick gets hurt and Landry Jones enters the game. You're, you're going to see some stuff. <laughs> if you want a complete and total meltdown, uh, and, and as soon as Jones throws an interception, which that I will guarantee if he gets in the game, there's no way he's not going to throw an interception. It, when that happens, just just watch. Pittsburgh is going to burn. People will go absolutely crazy. I only, I only keep bringing this up one because it's a podcast, and I don't really have to censor myself a whole lot. And two, it, it's amazing to me how a player of of such little consequence in the grand scheme of things is is generated such hatred. You know, he really isn't liked. I, I'd even say less liked than any Steelers player I've ever seen. And that list is probably pretty long. They're they're pretty brutal. The guys they don't like here, and um, Jones Jones probably tops the list. Well, it's fun to egg him on though, because Jones probably they don't keep these records, unfortunately. But just based on my research, he's probably the most accomplished preseason passer in NFL history, or at the very least, he had the largest statistical preseason this past year than anybody else. He played like full games. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't run their backups at all for obvious reasons. I mean, look at the position they're in now. They didn't have a backup. They had Vic take, a, you know, maybe a quarter of the snaps, and then Jones played like at least one half of five preseason games. Wow. He led in, in attempts by like sixty or something like that. He had, you know, <laughs> as far as preseason fantasy football goes, he's a top three pick probably. <laughs> yeah, people hate him. I don't know why. I don't care. Well, I mean, really quick, is is that possibly because uh, some fans, when he was initially drafted, kind of saw him as as the option behind Ben Roethlisberger? I mean, obviously, Roethlisberger's toward the end stages of his career. Uh, did did they kind of maybe just have too much hope for him? And then, obviously, when he when he doesn't play all that well, they they get a little bummed at themselves. Is that maybe it, or is? Do, do people just not like the name Jones or something? That, uh, <laughs> could, be, could be stemming from Jarvis Jones, another one that they really like. Um, I, to, to answer your question, I think it, it, the combination of the fact that they selected him in the fourth round and a, a few people in the media um, incorrectly labeled him as Roethlisberger's you know, heir apparent. Um, I, I don't think you draft 
Ben Roethlisberger's replacement in the fourth round. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't think the team is acting as if he is going to replace Roethlisberger at any point. Uh, a little bit of, you know, misunderstanding, I think, among the fan base with that. Uh, secondly, yeah, his, his performance in, well, basically every time he went out really hasn't been very good. It's been against third-string guys. Um, he doesn't exactly inspire you with confidence. And I think the fact that they use a draft pick at a time the team really needed to get more value out of all of their draft picks, as well as the fact that he continues to stay on the roster, is, is, is you know, those are, are damnable offenses to Steel Nation. They're, they're not... Uh, they're not big on him. They're not big on him when he was drafted. He certainly isn't going to replace Roethlisberger. And, and to your point about it, you know, being the twilight of his career, they just signed him to a five-year extension. So if it's the twilight of his career, they're in real trouble. Um, <laughs> he was putting up, you know, MVP-level numbers in his first two and a half games. So I, I, I don't think it's an issue of, you know, his career being in decline or anything like that. But uh, having a serviceable backup as we can see now, is really what I, I think they hope to get from Jones. And if they took him a little bit high um, to ensure that they had, in their minds, a, a quality backup who would know the system, who could come in and, and contribute, um, I, I think they're okay with that. But Jones, uh, to, to me anyway, just from what I've seen, he has not uh, you know shown that he can be that guy. So it, it's a busted pick, but taking a quarterback in the fourth or fifth round um, to back up Roethlisberger is something they've done, you know, a couple times in the past. Obviously, they haven't really found anybody that works yet. But you know, they're they're you know it, they took a guy in the fifth round. He didn't even make the team. So I, you know that wasn't all that long ago either. I don't think oh six or oh seven maybe the the guy he's a, a what was his name Omar Jacobs or something like that. But yeah. you know the, the point is I, I think fans just. You know, they don't like the fact that a, a fourth-round pick was used on a player like that, and he hasn't really lived up to his end of the bargain yet. Right. I'm also going to lean a little bit toward, you guys just hate the name Jones. I mean, you got Landry you Jones, it's Jacoby Jones. I mean, it's just the last name of Jones. Yeah, it could be. Felix Jones, he was a kick returner. Everybody hated him. Yeah. He averaged 22 yards of return, and he was hated. Why? <laughs> what do you hate him for? <laughs> I hate the name Archer, too. If Drew Archer gets in the game, go on Twitter and, and check out the reaction there. That's always fun. Well, you do have Le'Veon Bell and D'Angelo Williams, so I don't think we'll be seeing a lot of Dre. Unfortunately, I wish we did. I wish we were seeing Dre Archer yeah. into the game, but I don't think that's going to happen. But moving back to Vic really quick, he's a guy that's known to have big playability it goes two ways, though. Vic can beat you with his arms and legs, but he also is known for running when he should throw and you know throwing when he should run. Uh, how can the Ravens make Vic help them in that aspect of turnovers? <laughs> I don't think the Ravens are going to have to do a whole lot. Um, well, ball, thank you. Really. That's good news. It's our, our, uh, well, our secondary. To, to be fair, and I'm, I'm not even you know just trying to be a smartass. Look at, look at his numbers. Last 60 games, he has 50 turnovers, or maybe it's even 60 in the last 50 games, or something like that. Just some astronomically high numbers, and it, it doesn't seem to be something that's going to go away. Um, he plays the game the way he plays the game. Um, and I, I don't really have any feeling that when he gets out there with a, a lack of preparation uh, leading into the game, I, I can't help but think he's just going to kind of try to revert to what he knows. You know, there, there's only so much you can do 
um, and getting ready for a game on a short week, especially when you came back at, at you know, 11 p.m. Sunday uh, to, to get ready for this game on Thursday. He had two days practice. He had, you know, four total days um, with the idea in mind that he will start. There are only so many hours that, that he's going to be able to take, assuming he's on a regular sleep cycle, in order to prepare. So that said, he's going to go out there and, and you know, when the, the figurative bullets are flying around him, he's going to play like Michael Vick. And that really is, you know, in the last couple of years, it's, it's to eventually turn the ball over. So it, I, I think um, if it were me, I'd dare him to run. Um, I, I'd want to squeeze the pocket. I'd want him to escape the pocket. I, I don't think he, he throws very well on the run, and he's not a threat really to get up the field. He might give up, you know, a seven, eight-yard gain here and there. But at the same time, too, if he's running, that means I have an open shot at him. He still holds the ball out in the air um, away from his body. He doesn't protect it very well. Yeah. Um, I, I'd be perfectly fine with Michael Vick running the ball as opposed to throwing it to Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell. So if, if it's me, I'm not going to try to sack him in the pocket. I want to chase him out of the pocket. Uh, that's a lot of corner blitzes. That's a lot of, of you know, outside um, edge pushing and, and, you know, not bringing both sides on top of him and try to collapse him. I, I want to get him out of the pocket. I, you know, to me as a defense, that's going to make, you know, my odds of, of splash play that much higher. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely do not seem to be all that high on Michael Vick, and, and I can understand why, obviously. It's, he's been in the league now for forever. Uh, and he has not looked all that good over the last few years himself. So, but at the same time, you know the the Ravens secondary is not all that great, and they got beat down by AJ Green last week. Oh Lord, uh, Cincinnati. That was, I, I mean, that guy had more wide receiver uh, uh, yards than most quarterbacks do in the league. Uh, you know, per week. So, with, with Antonio Brown being arguably one of the best wide receivers in the game right now. How, how bad is the Ravens secondary going to look tonight? Well, I, I think for, for one, A.J. Green's done that to a couple teams, uh, the Steelers being one of them. He's a, receiver plays like that, it, it, it comes off of the big play, to, to you know make another obvious statement. Um, one touchdown that I saw that stood out, I think, the most, that Green had against the Ravens. The Ravens had like six opportunities to tackle him, and they didn't. So it's, it, that's really just kind of a prevention thing. That's film study um, in, in preparation during the week and a, a boot up their ass, which I'm imagining they got, uh, trying to stress fundamental defensive football, which is what, what's really weird to me watching Baltimore, than just not seeing um, that being done at a high level. And one thing you could always count on in Baltimore was fundamental football. Uh, I, I'm imagining that, that Harbaugh has delivered that message this week um, to whatever degree it, it's, you know, it has an effect. I, I like to think that the message will sink in, and they're not going to let uh, Brown run free, especially considering they, they know Roethlisberger isn't at the game. That's a huge advantage for them. They're not going to want a receiver breaking tackles in order to beat them. So, uh, you know, Brown is, is a, an excellent player. I think he is the best receiver in the game just as far as, uh, the skill of the position. I, there's nobody that's faster in and out of his breaks. He runs very clean, very quiet routes. He's very difficult to defend. Um, just that said, it, it's not a height advantage thing. It's not not a you know big plays to the back of the end zone kind of thing. It's just simply he's going to catch the ball the vast majority of the time he throws to him at any distance that he's at because he really can't be defended. It's extremely difficult to stick with him in any 
defense. Um, I think he's going to make play or two, but I don't think his performance uh, beats the Ravens the way that, that Green really did because I don't think that, that Baltimore is going to let him um, run free the same way that Green did. They're, they're going to have to step up and tap. I, I think, you know, to, to some degree they're capable of doing that. And if, you know, you're able to get in front of them, able to get them to the ground, no receiver is going to be able to just beat you. It's, it's the big plays, it's the missed tackles, those kinds of things that really add up. And that, that's what Green did last week. And Brown certainly is capable of that, um, not to, to downplay him in the open field at all. I just think that those kinds of big things tend to go away after a couple of days in the NFL. They're, they're not going to allow that to happen again. Okay, okay. All right, another question is, Steve Smith Sr. has a, a ridiculous year so far. His last two games, he's put up 150-plus yards. He's never done that in his career of back-to-back 150-yard games. It seems poor tackling has been a lot of his success. Uh, but the man just, he seems possessed right now to right off into the sunset, so to speak. Uh, what do you uh, what do you see coming from the Steelers defensive back and defensive backs, excuse me, uh, and how are they hoping to contain Steve Smith Senior? Well, I I think the big issue with him is the fact that there there really isn't a whole lot of firepower across the board among the Ravens offense, and because of that, Smith is going to have to get. 15 targets a game, and, and typically, if a receiver is you know decent to good, uh, he can translate 15 targets into you know 100 plus yards. Smith has been able to do that. Um, Cincinnati had a little bit of attacking problem as well on one, although I, I'll give Smith a little bit more credit than I, I gave Green on that one touchdown. I mean, he, he's a fighter. The guy's a competitor. Um, you love to see that. It takes a gang to tackle him, literally. I mean, that's that's where the term comes from. Um, the guy's a fighter. He's, he's a warrior on the field. And it, with that, you have to know to get to the ball the second that it touches his hands. As, as an entire secondary, and, and this includes the linebackers and the defensive line as well, they're all going to have to get Steve Smith because he's not going to stop until the whistle blows. And even then, he might keep going. I don't know. But he's not an easy guy to tackle because of that. Um, and that, that's where I, I was I was interested. Maybe you guys can shed some insight on this. I, I was interested to see that his yards after catch numbers weren't really all that high in comparison um, to the type of receiver that I've seen of him in the past, and especially that one that he caught um, against Cincinnati was like a 70-yard out that he took another 50 yards on top of that. Yeah. Um, to, to me, really, for, for him, it's not a question of getting open or going deep as much. It's how dangerous he is after the catch. And with that, the, the Steelers have their own challenge as far as tackling goes, and uh, fairly so. Um, Mike Tomlin led off his press conference this week talking about Steve Smith. I, I believe his quote was Steve Smith doing Steve Smith things. You know, I, I, think, yeah. I think that's a, a good way to put it. Um, he's a dangerous guy, and he's a competitor. He won't stop. And as a secondary, I think they have to know, especially in the NFL, you, you really can't shut a receiver out, not when he gets 15 targets. He's going to make a play eventually. Um, they, they have to be sound in, in their approach of him. You know, it, it's difficult to want to go for the interception just because of the danger that he possesses after he catches the ball. They have to be on top of it um, to a point they're going to have to just, you know, really concentrate on tackling the catch because I, I really don't think Baltimore has enough offensively outside of him um, to beat a team. In other words, if you were to take Steve Smith out of the game completely, I don't think they score more than nine points. Uh, with that, 
stopping him, I, I think, goes kind of out of your mind. Limiting him is, is more important. And limiting for Steve Smith is something like nine catches, 100 yards, no touchdowns. That would be a limiting game for him, considering how you know dangerous he can be. You will have held him down pretty good, and probably he didn't make a big play if you hold him to, to you know, 10, 10 and a half yards catch, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, with Cortez Allen being out, the cornerback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, or no, he's not out, excuse me, he is questionable uh, for this game. I mean, does does that make it even harder for your, your secondary, if you're the Steelers, to contain him? I mean, obviously at that point you're putting in somebody who maybe doesn't have quite as much experience, maybe doesn't have uh, that ability to match up with guys quite as well. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what the secondary strength uh, of the Steelers is after you get past the, the starters there, but um, what's going on in Pittsburgh with Cortez Allen and, and possibly who's going to fill in for him if he is out? Not to, not to revisit the same topic, but since it came up, players that fans hate, um, Cortez <laughs> Allen might be the only guy to challenge Landry Jones for that top spot, and uh, Allen's missed the last two games uh, with a knee injury. He didn't play particularly well in week one. Um, he wasn't playing well at all last year and was placed on injured reserve um, after their week eight win over the Colts. So he really hasn't been on the field a whole lot. Um, I don't think he would be the guy to, to, you know, man up Steve Smith through four quarters if he was healthy. And right now his list is questionable. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think he'll play. Um, he didn't practice much. Uh, this week, it's too short of a week. Uh, they're, they're probably going to stick with what they've had um, over the last couple games, and that won't be Allen. I, I don't think he'll be draft. But it, as far as the secondary goes, I mean, it, it's not a, an overly talented unit, that's for sure. Um, I, I thought they, they had probably a little you know, less than acceptable game against the Rams, although the defense overall did a very good job. Uh, they, they missed a few tackles that they shouldn't have missed. Uh, fundamental kinds of things, getting back to that whole point. And, and they're uh, they're progressing. I think they're playing much better at this point of the year than they were last year at this time. So that there's some hope for optimism within that. But um, you know, Steve Smith is is not an easy guy to cover, and I, I don't think any one guy is going to have coverage of him the whole game. Um, plus, the Ravens move him around a bunch. They they look for the spot that they feel you know he could be the most uh, the most effective, and I, I can see a couple different positive advantages for him in in his particular matchup. But, it, you know, it is, again, I mean, it's really about not trying to do a whole lot more than, than what's necessary. If they can tackle the catch where he is and they can limit him, um, I don't think the Ravens really have enough outside of him to, to make a huge impact on the game. So, it, it, obviously, it's key to worry about Smith. And when you have Crockett Gilmore out as well, um, two rookie tight ends filling in for that. The Ravens themselves, I, I think, are going to be pretty limited on offense. They're going to need Smith. So, uh, secondary is going to have to step up and, and try to, you know, take as much away from him as they can. Okay. Well, you know, it, it sounds like it's going to be a, a hard-fought battle for both teams, like it usually is. It's the AFC North. Um, you know, every time we see these two teams, it, it's rare that it's a blowout in either direction. It's usually coming down to a field goal. Uh, the Ravens, though, this season have had a ton of success on offense, uh, at least – Compared to what they have over the past few seasons, they seem to be getting it done. And you mentioned that Crockett Gilmore is going to be out, so he's going to be replaced with a combination of Max Williams and Nick Boyle, who both themselves look solid. I mean, both as blockers and both as receiving options for for Joe Flacco. Uh, It has not shown a ton in the red zone this season, though. 
it is if you're the Steelers, I mean, what are you trying to do to Joe Flacco in this offense to maybe try to slow the momentum and keep points off the board? Uh, if, if it's me, um, I, you know, no disrespect to the, the rookie tight ends in Baltimore, but I, I love the idea of a, a tight end blocking an outside linebacker. Um, a good outside linebacker should be able to beat a rookie tight end eight out of ten times. You know, it, it, it's just simply a matter of experience. They're not going to be good enough of blockers to, to stop a guy like James Harrison, who's abused Ravens tight ends over the years. Um, it, it, that's just a difficult assignment. Outside of that, um, I, I, you know that that might be an advantage for the Steelers. But you know Flacco's playing well. Um, he's I, I don't think he's been a, a part. A, you know team game blah 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 blah. Flacco wasn't the reason um, teams Ravens teams were you know behind in the last minute of games or, you know, giving up the winning drive. It wasn't, they didn't lose the game because Flacco didn't score enough. You know, I know taken literally that's a dumb statement, but Flacco has played winning football. I, I think he's done a lot of good things. He's getting rid of the ball very quickly. Um, he's really not getting help with his offensive line. Um, they're not helping him. He had a lot less time to throw than he should. I mean, he didn't like, he had like four or five passes tipped in that last drive against Denver. You know, he was just getting yeah. teed off on. I mean, it was, it was bad. And it's not like, again, he's not hanging on to the ball for six seconds. Uh, they, they were just, you know, the, the outside linebackers and the, the edge rusher were just putting one move on, and they were landing on him. Um, and, and he's able to, to still move the ball down the field. He's a dangerous quarterback. And with that, um, it, it takes a lot to really slow a guy like that down. Um, it's a question of pressure, though, you know, like it is for any quarterback. If you get in his face, it, you know, he's not going to throw as well. He's not going to deliver passes on target deep down the field if you're, you know, cracking him in the, in the gut as he's doing it. So getting to him, I think, is, is as important as it ever has been. And that, that's an advantage that Baltimore's had. I think the last couple of meetings, the, the Steelers haven't gotten, you know, quite as much pressure um, as the Ravens got on Roethlisberger. And to me, that was really the difference in those games. So it, for, for, for Baltimore, you know, it, it's protecting – Flacco, it's giving him a, a manageable game plan. Not that he's not capable to, to uncork 50 passes or anything like that, but knowing what Pittsburgh has on offense, I, I really just want Flacco to concentrate on completing passes, staying clean, and, and trying to you know get the ball into an advantageous spot in the field. I, I don't want him, you know, to me, he doesn't need to throw 50-yard passes in this game. I, I keep it short and manageable and dare the Steelers to, to cover, which I, I'm not entirely sure they're going to be able to do. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, that Flacco has, has been kind of abused earlier on in the season. That goes with the uh, left tackle and the right tackle. Left tackle, obviously, is out Eugene Monroe with concussion. Uh, he's out in this game as well. Uh, so they've put in James Hurst there, who is just, I, I believe Pro Football Focus have has him ranked as the worst lineman in the league right now. Uh, and, and based on what we've seen, I would not doubt that for a second. And Ricky Wagner on the right side has not been a whole lot better uh, f for the Ravens in pass blocking or even run blocking for that matter. Uh, so certainly if, if the Steelers can get the outside rush on Joe Flacco, he's going to have to get the rid of the ball a lot faster, which like you said, Neil, is going to take away a lot of those down the field throws the Ravens love to do. But at the same time, the new offensive coordinator, Mark Tressman, has kind of installed a little bit of a, of a new system in the idea that Flacco's getting that ball out a lot faster than he ever used to. Uh, th those 
they're not sending you know three deep like they used to do with Cam Cameron and, and heaving and praying it like they used to. They they are definitely using slants. They're using crossing patterns a lot more, uh, and, and using some of their wide receiver height to make the difference on that. So uh, I, I guess it will be up to Joe Flacco one way or another. Either he has enough time or he doesn't. And uh, we've seen Joe Flacco put up bad games because he's being abused by James Harrison. So uh, that could kind of go either way. Uh, but looking at it, if you're to give us a prediction, Neil, what's the final score of this game? I hate doing final scores. Um, <laughs> the the Thursday night game, especially. I mean, you, re, you know, this must just be a gambling nightmare. Maybe I should look this up. I'm, I'm curious what the record is against the spread in Thursday night football for the last couple of years. It, it just seems like it's so different. You know, it, you watch other games and you watch the Thursday night game. It's like, wow, these guys really suck, and everyone's really bad. Or, and, and along with that, we've seen some just epic blowouts. I mean, didn't didn't Tampa Bay get beat by Atlanta like fifty nine to nothing a couple of years ago? Just some ridiculous number like that. Yes, no, yeah, uh, it was just the, it was horrible. The, yeah, and you those, watch uh, it, it's Thursday like how is Tampa Bay even on the field? Yeah, I mean, you you just don't know what you're going to get, especially early in the season. Um, for me, I, I think it can be a competitive game. Um, I, I just think Baltimore will have the advantage of quarterback, which in my mind, you know, when you aren't sure of something, you really look at the quarterback play. And you have to ask yourself, what's more likely? Um, if, if Michael Vick doesn't play well, can the Steelers win? Versus if Joe Flacco doesn't play well, can the Ravens win? Um, I, I think Flacco cannot have his best game, and the Ravens can still pull it out because a bad game for Michael Vick is way lower than a bad game for, for Flacco um, at, at this point. And I, I just don't see Vick having an outstanding game. I, I don't think he'll be able to do enough. Uh, to really boost that offense. And, and, you know, football really comes down to just a couple plays on a couple different possessions. Um, when you don't have a quarterback that can win those plays 80%, 90% of the time, um, you're you're not really going to be in a good spot. And from there, you need a lot of other guys that don't get the ball in every play uh, to, to step up and, and make the most of what they have. Right? And considering it's a short week, uh, the Steelers don't have a whole lot of time with Vic. I just think timing will be off in a lot of places. And I think they're going to turn the ball over. So I, I think Baltimore can win this game, something, you know, a, a, a 27 to 13 type of game. Um, I, I think, you know, big plays are really going to be the issue here. I think a, a fumble, a turnover, a sack, those kinds of things are, are really what's going to, you know, ultimately matter. It's not going to be about, you know, offense dominating in any way. It's just going to kind of be, it, it's going to look sloppy. It's going to look ugly. Oh, great. I, I think Baltimore will pull out a win. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I will not hold you to a final score on that one because, like you said, it's Thursday night. It's a short week. It's Both teams have big players out. It, putting a score on this is going to be damn near impossible. And every time I've done it so far this season, it's been just about the polar opposite. So, uh, <laughs> That's my real that. reason for not giving a score. <laughs> I'm never right. I don't want too much of it on the record. <laughs> uh, understandable. Well, Thanks, Neil, for joining us. That's Neil Coolong. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Neil Coolong, N-E-A-L-C-O-O-L-O-N-G. And you can also find him on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Again, DKPittsburghSports.com. Check him out. He knows everything about the Steelers. Good guy, great writing. Uh, and definitely go ahead and check them out afterwards, hopefully there is a ton of hatred toward Michael Vick at the end of the game. 
And that was Neil Coolong there. Uh, like Kyle said, we talked to him earlier on today. Sadly, uh, he is at the stadium right now actually covering uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and this game. So he was unable to attend our podcast so late before or so early before the game. Uh, we are getting a quick statement uh, from John Harbaugh just a second ago about the status of Rashad Perryman. We talked about him earlier on in the podcast, Kyle. Uh, he, he went down with an injury at, on Sunday, uh, appeared to come up a little, little limpy, and uh, there's been talk that he underwent a scope at some point in time wow. uh, over this week. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to get straight to the uh, meat and potatoes here. Harbaugh said, we just had a meeting tonight, as a matter of fact. We just got over to the stadium here, and Dick Cass and Ozzie Newsom and I had a meeting with Dr. Curl and Dr. Tucker. Rashad went down and saw Dr. James Andrews the last two days. He actually had a consultation on Wednesday and actually decided to go in with a scope and take a look at it this morning, just to look at it up close and see exactly what he saw. He didn't see anything new. There's no new injury of any kind. It's just a slow healing ligament for whatever reason. Very slow. Uh, they're a little surprised, to say the least, that it's healing this slowly, but that's what it's doing. It's just going to be a matter of time. They gave him an injection with uh, stem cells, and that should help a little bit, too. It's going to take a little bit of time, hopefully shorter rather than longer, and we'll keep working hard to try to get him back. So it, it, it sounds like it's a positive thing in all reality. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of Ravens fans were taking it, that it was a full reconstruction of the PCL ligament uh, that, that everyone was fearing that was kind of be the end of his season. Uh, we are getting some other information, and we'll have a little bit more uh, with Dr. Bobby on next week's podcast and as well as uh, on BaltimoreBeatdown.com. But it sounds like the stem cells, uh, when they inject those, it, it is because something is just not healing quite right. It's not taking uh, the the expected amount of time. So they do that just to kind of boost it up and hopefully get something going on uh, that might be stagnated so that way they can get a guy back up and, and running pretty quick. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully for all of us uh, here at Baltimore Beatdown, the Baltimore Beatdown podcast, uh, and, and fans of football everywhere, hopefully Brashad Perryman is able to come back soon and uh, do something pretty cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Kyle, we've got to make a quick mention yet again that we have a wonderful, wonderful podcast uh, today, but we we also have the broadcast live. Uh, we are covering the Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens in Pittsburgh. We're going to be doing live play-by-play -play commentary of the game, so you get a chance to listen to passionate fans instead of Chris Collinsworth and some old man dressed up like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I I couldn't remember his name off the top of my head because that's how unimportant he is. Al Michaels. Uh, Al Michaels. There we go. Yeah, an old man dressed like Al Michaels, uh, wearing Al Michaels skin like a puppet. Um, that was weird. Wow, I took a really weird. Anyway, um, <laughs> we are doing a free jersey giveaway tonight. But the caveat is you got to tune into our broadcast. You got to comment with us, and we are going to randomly choose a comment toward the end of the game 
out of all the comments, we're going to choose one. That's going to be our winner. We'll hit you up, let you know exactly that you won. And uh, but you got to be listening. You got to be with us, and you got to be commenting. There is no other way for you to win a jersey tonight, and tonight only on the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. Ravens at Steelers. Uh, we will have another link in there of where that is at, so that way you can follow us over there, because we are just about done with this podcast, aren't we, Kyle? Pretty much. It's looking like that. Also, we do have a Patreon account down there. I believe the comment is down below uh, from the Baltimore Beatdown comment section. If you check that out, please donate as little as a dollar a month to Matt Stevens and I's cause of giving out these fresh podcasts. I have so far, uh, we've achieved a little over $50, which is wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. We appreciate all of our donations. We love it. We like calling you guys out. We do give shout-outs whenever we do get a new Patreon member. Also, we have goals set up along the sides. This isn't going into our wallet so I can order more McDonald's or drink more scotch and whiskey. It is, in fact, to better the show, get more quality machinery, such as better microphones, mic stands. Currently, I have mine sitting on the desk with a pop filter, folks. So, it's obviously not as professional as it could be. So, if you do like us, please hit us up with a donation. We don't even ask for anything more than a dollar, but if you want to give more, please, oh, please, oh, please, you're more than welcome and you're inclined to. That'd be wonderful. Thank you so very much, folks. You've been tuning into the Baltimore Beatdown with me, Kyle Barber and my co-host and awesome show member as always, Matthew Stevens. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Woo! Steelers and Ravens, bitches! Listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. If you like what we do, please like and share us on SoundCloud, Rabble.tv, and iTunes. Also, check out our Patreon account to donate as little as a dollar toward the cause and get some cool perks. Join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern for yet another Baltimore Beatdown Podcast.